I'm Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. Say, I have an interesting uh, announcement that I rarely get to make, and that is New Jersey has actually done something incredibly pro-gun. I mean, it really is startling. New Jersey has just restored the gun rights to approximately 88,000 convicted drug dealers. And this is really amazing because uh, New Jersey rarely ever does anything pro-gun, but here, thanks to the decriminalization of marijuana law that has automatic expungement in it, the court has announced that New Jersey judiciary, this is from their news release, has moved toward expungement for nearly 88,000 marijuana cases. And it says, uh, I quote, right, the New Jersey judiciary has vacated or dismissed nearly 88,000 cases related to certain marijuana and hashish convictions, uh, or even pending cases, by the way, since July 1, following the decriminalization of specific marijuana offenses. The cases are the first of about 360,000 identified by the judiciary in superior and municipal courts. And after vacating the convictions or dismissing the cases, the court will automatically expunge those cases in the coming months. And of course, expungement deems the matter not to have occurred. It erases the conviction and removes the felony level disqualifier. So previously convicted uh, felony drug uh, dealers convicted under the statutes here that are going to be covered will automatically have their gun rights restored by New Jersey. This is a great pro-gun step by New Jersey. Of course, it's really interesting when you look at what New Jersey does, because here, New Jersey is turning criminals into law-abiding citizens, while normally and simultaneously making law-abiding citizens into criminals with the gun laws. It's absolutely uh, wonderful news here for drug dealers and anyone who possessed uh, large quantities of marijuana and was convicted of it. Uh, now there's going to be automatic uh, expungement of those records. Let me tell you even further from a notice that was given to the bar explaining this, and it's really quite, quite fascinating what they've done here. They have... Uh, uh, put out a, a, a notice making it clear that there is approximately 360,000 cases. These are all past cases and convictions, all involving the war on drugs. And uh, this decriminalization is having an incredible effect for the pro-gun movement. And uh, let me tell you, Reese, right from the memo, what cases are going to be dismissed and automatically expunged, given full rights restoration for anyone that falls under these categories. Number one, people that have been convicted of distribution of less than one ounce of marijuana or less than five grounds of hashish. 
So look, even hashish dealers are benefiting benefiting here by this. And uh, if you have that uh, fourth degree, what you would call felony level, because it carries at the time it had uh, 18 months, so it's over a year. Uh, and now that's going to be uh, vacated, uh, dismissed, and or expunged. And if you were someone that was uh, convicted of possession of more than 50 grams of marijuana or more than five grams of hashish, you know, the quantity possessors that are normally not uh, personal users, uh, you too benefit here and will get your gun rights restored by New Jersey by way of automatic expungement built into the law. And not only that, it is it is something that will apply as well to disorderly persons offenses. And a whole array of all the, the, quote, misdemeanor level, although New Jersey calls them disorderly person, that had anything to do with drug possession such as the marijuana and or hashish, you will too get the benefit of expungement, which will clear up that, uh, at least help along the way for that issue of being a user of marijuana that uh, or hashish or controlled dangerous substance that is uh, often used as a disqualifier. So again, it's a nice win for, for gun rights by New Jersey taking place here. And it will also uh, expunge automatically convictions for possession of drug paraphernalia as a disorderly person's offense. It'll get rid of any prior convictions for use or being under the influence of controlled dangerous substances. You know that other disqualifier on the on the gun on the gun uh, application where they where they check that stuff. Hey, if you've been convicted of that, it's going to be expunged and erased and gone. And and for and failure to make a lawful disposition of a controlled day, where if you possessed and you were required to surrender it and you failed to do so, you're convicted for that. It's going as it's going away as well. And if you operated a motor vehicle while in possession of controlled dangerous substance, traffic, you know, your your, your transport oh that too is covered by this uh by this effort here to uh, get rid of uh, 360,000 uh, convictions. It is quite a win for gun rights here by getting all these folks their rights back. And I'm really happy to see New Jersey taking such efforts to restore gun rights for folks. I mean, look, in the past, if you had a marijuana conviction and you qualified in terms of the time that you had to wait and all to possibly get it expunged, particularly if you were a seller or distributor of marijuana, and you wanted to get an expungement, well, there was a path to do it, but it was a discretionary path. You know, you had to go before the judge and you had to show that you're a good person and rehabilitated and that, you know, you have to convince the judge essentially of your worthiness, but not anymore, not anymore. No, this is great. It doesn't matter what kind of person you are. It doesn't matter whether you're rehabilitated. None of that. It's just erased, gone, and you're going to get expunged. And that whole pain-in-the-neck procedure of having to demonstrate that the individual uh, should get expunged uh, is gone. Isn't that great? That we just, We're just going to clear it for these folks and, and open it up so that more people can buy guns. And that's the thing about getting your rights restored. 
when your rights are restored, you can regain your other constitutional rights as well. And this can include other civil rights that may have been taken away, you know, like a right to vote at some point, you know, depending, or right to serve on a jury, right to even hold public office. You know, expungement's a great thing. It gives you that second chance that we all believe in. And here, New Jersey has taken steps to clear it for all these thousands upon thousands of people. Now, I think you and I could discuss the merits of uh, the war on drugs and whether it's effective or not. And, I mean, you know, sure. And, of course, we're talking about marijuana that's legal and things like that. And, hey, I get it. I, I understand. But here's my thing. You know, I, I believe down the road uh, when the Supreme Court invalidates New Jersey's gun control scheme, New Jersey's gun laws that have turned law-abiding citizens into criminals, that have given them felony records and yanked their gun rights out from under them by way of absurd and draconian gun laws. Well, I sure hope that we have a major expungement that's automatic that will kick into place to help all those folks as well get their gun rights back. Because the idea of someone being a convicted person and losing their rights is something that uh, you often hear the anti-gun uh, folks pushing. I mean, look, it was uh, Charles Schumer in 1992 that removed the funding for the federal relief from disability program. So if you had been convicted of a nonviolent federal offense and you'd done your time and you're now reformed good person prior to 92 you could ask uh, ATF to restore your rights but you see Charles Schumer got that unfunded in 1992 and individuals with federal convictions have been stuck not able to get their rights restored at all and here New Jersey in a magnificent stroke is restoring rights to hundreds of thousands of people that are merely convicted drug dealers and possessors of large quantities of drugs and you know it's it's really interesting to see this interplay wouldn't you say and yet here federally uh the relief is not available so if you have a federal conviction for marijuana or a federal problem well right there with the democrats even if you're a good person and you're really rehabilitating, you know, under New Jersey, you can at least demonstrate that under New Jersey's old expungement law. But you can't do anything if you're burned under the federal law, thanks to Charles Schumer. And what I hear folks talk about is, you know, one of the, the basis, and it's very popular today, of course, is the systemic racism that's built into the drug laws and built into the criminal prosecution system. And the left, you know, really likes to push that. They really like to scream and shout about just how racist our criminal justice system is. And, and the truth is, uh, blacks are disproportionately uh, convicted felons compared to whites at a ratio of six to one, six to one and Hispanics at a ratio of two to one. So given that, isn't it 
interesting that Democrats like Schumer won't allow the funding of a program so that individuals who have proven themselves rehabilitated and to be good, productive members of society can get their rights restored. And that discrimination is at a ratio of six to one of blacks to whites. And that's by the Democrats, of course. So here, at least, we have a Democrat administration in New Jersey that has taken some great steps to uh, restoring the rights of hundreds of thousands of felony-level drug dealers and drug possessors and those that would otherwise have drug disqualifiers for guns and opened it up so that, assuming they don't have any other issues, they now can exercise their right to keep and bear arms. When we come back, we're going to talk about some other fascinating things. See you then. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law. A bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. All right, so uh, I just want to remind you, as I've uh, been watching on the uh, on the internet and social media, they're just coming after us left and right. It's really, really important. Subscribe to the show. Tell your friends to subscribe. This is a voice. This is the only way to get information out in uh, this way, where we can not be uh, stopped by the by the tech gods. So uh, go to uh, gun.lawyer, that's the website, www.gun.lawyer instead of .com. Check us out, tell folks to subscribe anywhere you can get a podcast, your favorite podcast, you can get Gun Lawyer, and uh, this is makes a big difference. I'm counting on you. Now, uh, one of the things I really want to get into, and this is something that is not generally appreciated or understood by by gun owners is how the law actually works when it comes to self-defense and other defenses. Now, I'm not going to get into the law of self-defense per se, when you can shoot, when you can't shoot. That's a whole other topic for another day or days. 
But what I do want to explain to you, and many of you do know the basics, but what I want to really pound home and I want to make really clear is that when it comes to self-defense, self-defense or what is known as justification for the use of force, that that burden of proof is on you and me. And a lot of folks don't understand just how significant that is. If you use your firearm in self-defense, then the question, the defense at law, literally the affirmative defense, is that you were justified in using force and or deadly force. And the proof that you were justified rests on you and me to prove it. It doesn't start out with the state having to disprove it. Now, this is extremely significant, yet people don't seem to get why. It's, it's significant because the burden of proof being placed on the lawful defender means that if you use your gun, you are guilty until you can prove your innocence. And that's le legally how it works, factually how it works. Because justification for the use of force is an affirmative defense that the defendant has to put forward initially. So if we're going to allege self-defense in a case or justification for use of force, you have to give notice even to the prosecutor. You give them notice. We're going to be arguing this. And then after giving notice, during the proceeding, the hearing, the trial, it's going to be up to you and your counsel to present enough evidence to show that you qualify for the use of force, either deadly force or non-deadly force, depending on what type of self-defense actions were taken here. And only after you put that sufficient level of proof forward does the state then have the burden to disprove your defense beyond a reasonable doubt. So we all live in a, in a society where our understanding is you're innocent until proven guilty. But that's not how it actually works when it comes to using force or deadly force. If you use force or deadly force and you maim or kill or injure another person, you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent because the burden of proof on showing the defense of the affirmative defense is on you. And you see how serious that is. You see the significance of that. Because normally, in order to be convicted of, a, of an offense, the burden is on the state to have to prove each and every element of the offense by proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So the burden normally in a criminal prosecution is on the state 
And they're the ones that have to prove every element, every part of the offense. And they have to prove every part of whatever that law says that offense is. And they have to prove it at a standard of beyond a reasonable doubt, the highest burden of proof or legal standard of proof that there is in our society. So when it comes to burdens of proof, we have two important issues. One is who has the burden of proof. And as I said, in justification, self-defense, you and me, we have the burden. And then the question is, well, what is that burden? And burdens of proof in generally, there's levels of proof. And you can have levels of proof that begin with the most minor amounts of uh, of any you could have you know a standard of some evidence well there's some evidence right that's like the lowest level some evidence or uh, then you can jump a little from that to you know reasonable suspicion right reasonable suspicion so what's you know reasonable suspicion is you know maybe the officers out on patrol and the he sees a car running in front of the bank and he sees a guy get out with a mask and looks like something in his coat. And, you know, this is like reasonable suspicion that there might be something going down. And then the next level after reasonable suspicion is what we call probable cause, right? So probable cause, you often hear that. And probable cause is a higher standard of proof than just reasonable suspicion. And probable cause is used, uh, you know, in determining whether there should be a search warrant issued or whether an arrest is reasonable. Uh, Grand juries have to find probable cause, whether they issue an indictment, etc. So probable cause is basically a finding that there's a fair probability that contraband, let's say, or some other evidence of a crime will will be found. And that's where you find the probable cause standard, particularly used often in in searches. And once you get beyond probable cause, then we have what is preponderance of the evidence standard. Now, preponderance of the evidence is what is used in civil cases, civil actions. It basically means a finding of more likely than not, right? It it means almost 50 plus one. So the scale tilts to that side. So it's more likely than not. And clear and convincing evidence, we see that used in uh, equity cases and paternity cases and child custody cases and civil cases and civil lawsuits and torts, etc. This is the standard that we often will see. Uh, And then depending on what state you're in, it could be stronger than preponderance. And the next level of that is what is called clear and convincing evidence. Clear and convincing evidence is higher than preponderance of the evidence, but not as high as beyond a reasonable doubt. It's in between. Often clear and convincing is used for professional licensing and 
and states that have greater protection for gun rights when it comes to revoking licenses, they will require clear and convincing evidence as opposed to the mere preponderance of the evidence. But the highest burden of proof is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And proof beyond a reasonable doubt is a burden of proof when it comes to being convicted of a crime where the government can take your freedom, take your life even, if it's a capital. And that's where that standard is reserved as the highest burden of proof, and that's what is required to get a conviction on a criminal charge. And the burden of proof is what the state would normally have. Again, to prove each and every element of the offense, each section, each part, by proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So how do they prove a case? How does anyone prove anything? And proofs are done by evidence. You have to submit evidence. Evidence is what the proofs are. And that's why it's important when it comes down to whether evidence can come in or whether it gets suppressed because if the evidence is suppressed because rights are violated, then the ability to prove the element by proof beyond a reasonable doubt is uh, is uh, removed or lessened by the inability of the evidence to come in. It's also why knowing the rules of evidence can be very important. If you can stop evidence from coming in or argue to get evidence to come in, because it's always a battle over the burden of proof, and of course who has that burden when fighting it out in court. These are the fundamental, vital concerns that you really rarely ever hear discussed. So you need to wrap your mind around the idea that if you were to use your firearm, the burden of proof is on you. And normally, you better hope that you're going to be able to show it by at least preponderance of the evidence, more likely than not, preponderance that you were justified in the use of force so that the judge uh, agrees and has the state have to respond and prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you didn't have the justification. See, that's how that game works. Now, what New Jersey does, and some other states as well, is they take this idea of reversing burden of proof, which when it comes to you know, using deadly force and possibly taking somebody else's life, uh, this burden of proof switching, uh, you know, I don't necessarily like it, but I can at least understand it because it's a very serious thing and it's got to, the person before they pull that trigger or use uh, deadly force or non-deadly force had better be justified and that's something society would want to see. But what has happened is New Jersey has taken this idea of the defense and the individual having to prove the defense and created a gun control scheme where guns are all prohibited unless you can prove that you fall within an exemption because the exemptions are defenses. So possession of, a, of, of all guns in New Jersey is actually prohibited. But then the prohibition can be overcome if you're within an exemption but the proof that you're within an exemption always rests with you as the potential defendant. So, for example, guns under thirty under Chapter 39, uh, 
which is in the 2C, 5B, talks about possession of a handgun. It says no person shall possess any handgun unless having first obtained a permit to carry such a handgun. And if you uh, have a handgun and you don't have a permit to carry, then how do you possess your handgun? And like I said, there's less than 600 carry licenses for the whole state of New Jersey. So how does anyone legally possess a handgun? Well, it's by way of exemption. And the exemption under another statute says that you're exempt if you're in your home or place of business or if you're target range or while hunting. But the problem is you have to prove that, you see. And I've had cases where individuals have been challenged as to whether their home is actually their home and had to prove that their home was their home. And you can be forced to these proofs because the burden is actually on you to prove the defense. So you better make sure whether you're using a firearm in self-defense or whether you're possessing a firearm under a system like Jersey that you are able to show and you're able to prove your defenses. Keep that in mind so that you can better protect yourself should you ever be in a situation where you have to defend yourself on either a uh, use of a firearm charge or possession of a firearm in New Jersey type charge. So this is uh, Evan Knappen and... Uh, I want to remind you that gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice consult a licensed attorney in your state.